Voice Talks presented by Google Assistant is happening each month. You'll hear from industry experts, voice-first influencers, and platform creators each month for a deep dive into our rapidly evolving voice industry. Plus, get your questions answered and a chance to win prizes. Hosted by Sophia Altuna, one of Google Assistant's top industry experts and a leader on the Global Product Partnerships team, we encourage you to register for this free event and join us at voicesummit.ai slash talks. That's voicesummit.ai slash talks. We can't wait to see you there. Maria Sparopoulos is a speech systems analyst at Echo and has studied language and linguistics for a long time. She suggests that an IVR system is just like any other speech-enabled application and that they have a great advantage over Alexa skills and Google Actions. She shares with us the lessons she's learned the hard way from designing IVR systems and how it can help VUI. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. This is your host, Carrie Roberts. And today my guest is Maria Spiropoulos. She is a speech systems analyst at Echo. Welcome, Maria. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Carrie. Thanks for your invitation. So I know that you studied language and linguistics and you've worked for a lot of different tech companies using all of these skills. Why do you enjoy language so much? And why do you think linguistics is an important part of voice? Ever since I was young, I really loved learning languages and analyzing languages. And my favorite thing to do when I was young actually was whatever word I heard, I would look up the etymology of the word. And like I like to quiz people like, ask me what's the etymology of this word. Of course, Greek words, not any other language. And then I also learned English and German while I was growing up. So I just love studying languages. So I went on and I studied linguistics. And I think the reason I love it so much is because, well, the way you talk, it tells a million things about you, about who you are, about where you come from, about how you think about things. And I just loved, yeah, analyzing all aspects of it. And I think coming from a linguistics background and working in the voice industry has helped me like so much because sometimes I have an advantage because of the courses I have done. For example, because I have done a lot of courses on speech recognition. If someone, for example, says, let's ask the user, do you want to get your parcel today or Saturday? Because I know how speech recognition works. I know that we can never ask that, for example, because the system will very easily confuse the two words. But also because in university, we also did a lot of courses on sociolinguistics and analyzing text and syntax and all of that. And we did a lot of semantics and pragmatics. And we did a lot of how to structure a conversation. We even broke down humor. So that was very helpful for me. That is so interesting. I personally am fascinated by linguistics. We've had a lot of linguists on this show and have brought so much value to the show and to the voice space as well. And you currently work designing IVR systems. Can you describe to those that don't know what it is, what an IVR system is? And why you think they are just like any other speech-enabled application skill or action? The IVR is what some people call is the original voice user interface. IVR, it's an automated telephony system, basically, that interacts with callers through the internet and gathers information and routes the calls to the appropriate agents. 
and it's on what we call the voice web, where all the applications, they use the voice web and IVR does the same. And we even have voice browser. And so just like you have graphical user interface, you have voice user interface, just like you have Chrome or which is a, a browser that collects data from servers and displays visual information to you. Just like that, we have voice browsers that go to the servers and they collect information from a database or and they speak it to you instead of displaying to you. And it collects prompts and it plays it back to you, right? So this is what a voice browser does. And Many people haven't, you know, made that connection, but it's the same as the visual internet, but it's voice internet, the voice web. So yeah, I mean, the IVRs were the original voice user interfaces and the most prominent, well, many of the most prominent people now in the industry, originally they worked for the IVR and all the principles that we follow now when we develop voice skills or actions they came, of course, from years and years and years of developing IVRs, making mistakes and learning how to fix them by looking at the data. And IVR systems, speech-enabled skills on your Alexa or your Google Assistant, they have the exact same thing. So they both do automatic speech recognition and natural language understanding. They both utilize memory. So when you use a skill, the skill remembers it. So when you use it the second time, then it will say, welcome back, Carrie, you know? So it uses memory and it saves that information. We save that information in the IVR system. So when you call a bank and let's say you say, hello, what can I help you today? And then you say, yes, I would like my balance. Then you hang up, then you call after a week, the system remembers it. So it might ask you, Oh, last time you called, you wanted to check your balance. Would you like to do the same thing today? So we call, we have that functionality as well in the IVR system. And of course, the whole design process is the same. We have flows, we have prompts, we have intents, we have utterances, slots. So it's the same, really. It's just a different format. And you were saying to me before we started this podcast that you actually think there is a great advantage of IVRs over skills or actions. What would you say that is and why do you think it's such an advantage? Yeah, they have a lot of similarities, IVRs and the skills and actions or captions, if you're talking about Bixby. But there's also differences. But the greatest difference is that when we are building IVRs, we are using enterprise scale platforms and they store the audio files of what the users say so that we can improve the system. So let's say if I want to see how the recognition of a number is doing in my system, I'll just go and I'll download 1,000 WAVs, 1,000 audio files from the server, and then I'll put them through the grammar that I have created. And then I'll do some other process called tuning. And then I'll see that I have, for example, 80% accuracy. And then I can work on that and see oh, why is it not recognizing everything? What do I need to change? Is my prompt not clear? Is my recognition, my grammar is not covering all the cases of the numbers? Or am I cutting off the user too early? 
So I can work with that. But when you have an Alexa skill or Google Action, you don't have access to those audio files in neither platform. And it's actually one of the highest requests from the developers. What you have is a transcription of what the system thinks the user said. But of course, that is highly problematic because, I mean, what if, let's say that I have a restaurant and people can order food and I have named my dishes with these like extraordinary, extravagant names like the Magic Fountain or the Super Cali Precialidocious dish or whatever. And a user is trying to order this food. So then if the system doesn't give me the correct transcriptions of what people said, I don't know what my client ordered. So unless a human actually hears to those audio files, you can't know what was said. So I think that's the greatest advantage. And I think in the future, they will change that. Yeah, that's something I've never thought of. So again, just to kind of recap, you're saying for most voice skills or actions or whatever you want to call them, it's picking up transcription. So written text from what it's hearing, but in an IVR, you're getting the actual audio, which is yeah. correct. I mean, that, that you're right. That makes a huge difference. My follow-up question to that is, you know, another big issue we talk about in voice all the time is security. So how does an RVR keep that information secure? Because that is something that a lot of voice companies struggle with of, I don't want to pull the exact audio because that's a security issue. Yeah, I understand that is everyone, of course, is concerned. But the thing is that the way we store and all these companies really, because I have worked with users audio files at Google as well. So I know that there is this concern and these companies have to use the audio files, not just to train and improve their systems, but also, yeah, to do things like that, like I described, tuning. And actually, the one of our processes is to human transcribe these utterances and to get some results statistically. But on all the companies I have worked with and everything I have seen, there is no way to match that particular audio file to a specific user. There is uh, no way. And it's very difficult it would be impossible. And you would need even legal action to try to find who that person is. You can't identify these people. So it's all anonymized, completely anonymized. If we were tuning personal data, like addresses and things like that, we could mix them, for example. But with a GDPR, actually, a lot of this information is encrypted even. So we can't even sometimes have access to it. Yeah, we are using as much as a safe procedure as possible. Well, thank you for sharing those thoughts and insights. I think that's things we haven't heard before. Like you said, it is important to have encrypted and make sure it is anonymous. But the value of having audio makes so much sense that it would be helpful in improving our voice skills and actions as well. Can you share with us any other interesting lessons that you might have learned, especially the hard way from designing IVR systems for your clients regarding the best voice UI? There are quite a few. <laughs> I could go on and on all day long. So you see when you design a system, as I said, because we do a lot of tuning in our services, that's how we know what to improve. One of the things that we recently encountered when we are having conversation 
as humans. So for example, if I stop talking now, so that's a very long silence there. So if I kept that silence for a bit longer, you were going to interrupt me and say, yes, because when we talk, usually our pauses are less than half a second long. And you know that by nature. When I stop talking, you know by nature, no one has to tell you that if I stop talking and then I pause like this, then you know that, okay, she stopped talking so I can take on. And we have these values when we are designing voice applications called timeouts. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. I personally have not. Maybe listeners have, but tell us more about it. For example, we have to tell the system when it should stop recognizing and when it should start speaking. And we also tell the system that, you know what, if you were talking and a caller for the assistance, a user and a user starts talking on top of you, just stop talking. So these things, you know, they come naturally to us, but we have to train our voice assistance to do that, right? So for example, with timeouts, we have a timeout that detects the end of speech. So we usually say to the systems, we set a value of, let's say, 1.5 or one second, which means that if someone pauses for one second or one half second, they're done. So you can continue talking and say what you want to say. But for example, we have noticed that in some cases, like when we have asked the user to say a group of numbers, let's say a credit card or for, for a payment, right? Or their postcode. So we noticed that if we set this timeout at one second, many people are getting cut off. And you might be thinking, the reason we do that is because everybody knows their postcode. So if someone asks me my postcode, I'm just going to shoot it out. I know it by heart. Most people do. So it's fairly fast. But the way we speak, so we group digits into three or four items usually. And some people, when they say their postcode, they pause. Sometimes they pause because they have been used to pausing all their lives because someone had to write it down. So they might say A, B, 1, 2, C, D. And the reason they pause might be because they are processing it or they're remembering it or because they have chunked it in their head or all their lives, as I said, they have been pausing for someone else to write it down. And they're just doing the same thing without thinking about it. In these cases, you can't have an end of speech timeout, for example, at one second because you're going to cut the user off. And it's frustrating. So for example, in those cases, we might take it to two seconds or 2.5 or even three, you know, if it's a long digit string. Other things is, as I said before, about interruption. We have what we call the barging values. So the barging is basically when the user barges in. So Alexa talks and I barge in and I talk on top of her. So I interrupt her. So we call this a barging. And what we have noticed, for example, is that with older audiences, barging doesn't work. Like if a user is younger or more familiar with using voice skills, they know when to barge in, when to interrupt the system, they can do it flawlessly. What we have noticed is that with older audiences, users sometimes they even think they talk to a real person. So sometimes the IVR will say, 
just give me a moment while I fetch your information and all their users might say, well, thank you very much, young lady, you know. So they talk to the IVR as if it's a real lady. What is happening is that they don't understand that if they keep talking on top of the IVR, the IVR will just keep cutting what they're saying and the whole conversation will break. So for example, if the IVR is saying, could I have your phone number, please? And then the user says, right, yeah, like and interrupts the system before it stops. Then a timeout is being triggered and then the system is waiting to hear something. If not hearing something it expects, then it doesn't recognize. Then the system will say, sorry, I didn't hear that. What did you say? And then the user will say, I didn't say anything. I just said, right. But then that's not something the system expects. So then there will be a misrecognition and then it, the conversation will like completely break off. This can spiral. You know, we have noticed this kind of thing. So we have to be careful of what audience we are building the app for. And one of the most important things that we have learned definitely is about how to design the prompts so that we can elicit the correct response from the user. And we have to think very carefully about the prompts. So for example, so let's say again that someone is ordering food with your skill and they have selected a restaurant. So they have said, I want chicken. And then Alexa or Google might say, okay, I have a restaurant called Chicken Bone and this is what you can order. And then let's say you put your order and then the system might ask you, right, would you like to arrange a delivery or collect from the restaurant? Well, what might happen is that a lot of users at that stage, they don't know where the restaurant is. So we haven't given them the address. So there, it could be like opposite of their house or it could be 10 blocks away. So some users, they will not answer that. Some users will say, well, where is it? If I'm collecting, where, where is the restaurant? And if you haven't accounted for that, or if you haven't given the location of the restaurant before you say, like, would you like to arrange a delivery or collect? Many people might be confused. So you have to be very careful of what prompts you're introducing at what time. Or another thing, I'm finishing, another thing is that you should never ask first the question, what would you like? and then say the options that the user has. Because when we have noticed then that when we ask people, what would you like? They start talking right away. And they say, I would like to know the balance of my account and also my card was stolen, blah, blah, blah. What you should do is put the options first. So here you can hear about your balance or inquire about your latest mortgage application. What would you like to do? So always place the question at the end. So things like that, and a lot of them are about memory, cognitive processing, how people, depending on their age or gender or cultural background, how people interact and have conversations and things like that. Maria, my mind is blown. I think you've just mentioned four things that seem on the outside so small, so detailed, so minute, and yet make such a huge impact in the user using a skill or the caller in an IVR. And I know for myself, what I've said quite often about voice is my frustration is that I'm kind of sometimes the interrupter, as you were mentioning earlier. 
like I already know what the question is. Maybe I've already interacted with this thing before. And so I just want to get to the part where I can answer it and save time. And so sometimes it'll frustrate me that the skill is not moving fast enough or talking fast enough, that then I don't want to use it. And I've had that with IVRs as well. And you're right, the ones that do IVRs well, it feels like a real person, the timing is correct, it can hear you. And I just want for those listening to understand, first of all, how knowledgeable you are on this topic and, and the great things you're bringing to light here, but that these things matter. And so many people are trying to get skills out so quickly and wondering why it's not working. But it's this stuff that makes such a big difference in the long run. Exactly. Because for us, you never think about it. You're on autopilot, all of us. Actually, you have the voice system is a little kid and you have to teach it proper manners, like how they can talk. That's how it works. Yes. I love that. That was such a good quote. So if somebody is trying to get from starting a skill, they just released the skill, but Mm -hmm. to get it to a point where people are loving it, they're using it, it's interacting in a detailed way, like you mentioned. When you do that in the IVR world, how long would you say that takes you or someone to do that, to get the IVR to work in that capacity? So the whole process could take, so together with all the initial statistical training of the utterance analysis, designing all the flows, it takes quite a while, but it also depends on how complex the actual system that we're going to use is. So for example, one of our clients is O2. There are like 200 different things you can do in the IVR for O2, but then if you have another client, which is more like a small domain, like if you're booking tickets for a cinema or something like that, then it's easier. But I would say perhaps the whole process, like from the beginning, training, designing everything, mock-ups, mock dialogues, and then releasing the first, like, you know, having the first release and then tuning on top of that. I mean, if you work very fast, it could be two months, like very fast and only working on that. Yeah, I think you're right. It could be very quick. It could take a long time, but it really is a lot of the testing and the listening and the details of what you're talking about. Like all the testing probably makes a huge difference in this process. Oh yeah, there is a lot of testing, like proper testing as if we're releasing software. We do system user, like uh, system integration, user acceptance testing, all of that testing. And that takes time. And every time, and of course, after tuning, after we have changed some prompts, changed some time maps, changed some configuration values, maybe we changed some intents and how the utterances map to them. So after we have changed all of that, of course, we do another release to update the system. And there is more testing before that release. The simplest system could take two months and the hardest system could take a year if it's incredibly complex, you know? So it really depends on how complex it is. Now, how do you personally see voice and AI changing the world going forward, especially with the way the world has changed in the last few months? I think it will be integrated in our lives and always possible. And the Internet of Things home is coming soon, very soon where you will be able to talk to your fridge and you'll be able to talk to your microwave and all of that. You already can do a lot of things like you can turn on the lights with your voice and close your curtains even and things like that. But I think especially now, 
I think humanity will take a step towards integrating voice everywhere, like in, in the tills, in the supermarket or in the elevators. I think Asia is already implementing that a lot in the big cities. It's going to come here more, even more. Like the other day, for example, I, I was at the supermarket with my gloves and I wanted to unlock my phone because I wanted to see my shopping list, but my phone unlocks with my fingerprint. So I had to take off my gloves and then use my fingerprint. And then I had to put my glove back. So it was just very frustrating. So like if, for example, in this case, I could use voice biometrics to unlock my phone and then say, yeah, can you just quickly go to my shopping list? And then, of course, you might be able to do something like that in some phones of some companies, but it's not slick. And, you know, most people can't do it really. So things like that, I think, will start happening a lot going forward. Yeah, I was going to say, even with the hearable space, I think that's a great area that I'm sure is already done and will improve where if you have the hearables and it's connected to your phone, you could just ask and it could tell in your ear as you're shopping, which would be a huge help because you're right. When we're talking about the current situation going on in the world and you're supposed to wear gloves, you got to take them off, put them on. It kind of defeats the purpose <laughs> of yeah. wearing the gloves. And you're like, okay, there has to be a better way. And I, I like you're giving a, a very simple yet very common example of something that can be fixed in a more broad way. So I love that idea. If people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about anything we talked about, where can they do that, Maria? I am on LinkedIn, Maria Spiropulu. And my surname starts with spy. And I'm getting a lot of jokes about this. But yeah, if people want any question, anything at all, I'll be glad to help. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Maria, for bringing just some new insights some new information I think we really haven't heard before. I think you provide so much value and I look forward to hearing more about what you're creating and how IVR will help the voice world as well. Well, thank you, Carrie. Very nice question. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at M-O-D-E-V.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.